Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll, I'll have what a, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. You, no, no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline. And deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 155 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me on the phone, Charles Headland. What's going on, buddy? Not too much, my man. What's happening? Nothing, man. Just chinchilling. It's a beautiful night. It's a little bit cool out. Feels like fall. Boy, does it ever. No, Just don't man. feel like, like archery season. I don't know what does. I know, dude. These mornings when I come out to my truck to get to work in the morning, good googly moogly. Crispy, my friend. I would agree, man. Fog, crisp, crisp, cold weather. I like it. You know what I've been wearing Man. when I go out to my truck in the morning? Probably some scree gear. Freaking grid light, dude. It is the perfect Ooh. going to work coat. That is a great call. The grid light, especially now with the solid colors. That jacket is a perfect jacket for fall and spring. I would agree, man. I would totally agree. I'm a big fan. I've been wearing a lot of the hard uh, scrabble pants lately. They are nice, man. I mean, honestly, I did go out the other day and, and replace some uh, batteries on a camera, and I was wearing the Venture Flex pants. Huge fan. I'll tell you one thing that I think I love the most about Scree pants is that I went through 40 million little hitchhikers and burrs and all kinds of sticky things that are in fields right now because everything wants to poke and stick on you. And when I got all done, I took my hand and I just wiped it down my pants a couple times and just wiped them all right off. That is a beautiful thing, man, because I can tell you in the past wearing like some other stuff, you know, it was mm -hmm. a pain in the butt. I'm hanging them up when I get home. I'm sitting there with like a spoon or a butter knife trying to scrape them off. It's just awful. <laughs> yeah, I have been there. I've thrown pants away in the past because they just they would never recover from <laughs> some <laughs> of the group. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, man. I didn't even mean to go into scree gear that fast, but I just, I've been wearing it all the time. I was like, oh man, I had to bring it up. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I'll tell you what, I, uh, I've got some broadheads out. I've been sharpening them. I'll be hunting here Saturday. So my VIP broadheads, combat veterans, man, they're going to be sharp and ready to go come Saturday. Good gravy, man. I was planning on going out and throughout the week, the farther the week went, the crazier my Saturday got. So I'm just, I'm not going out yet. Probably next weekend though. I'm going to, I'm going to try. We're going to see, but I don't know. Next weekend's technically my, my daughter's birthday. So that might not happen too. I might be doing the regular season opener and no, uh, no early season for me this year. We'll see. No pre-gaming this year, huh? Yeah, I'm just going to have to go out and get in the tree a couple times and, and just make sure everything's good to go. Nothing wrong with a full send. No, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm running a little bit different this year, man. And I got to say, I'm kind of excited about it because I've never done it before. 
I got some new cameras and stuff, but no, I don't have a single camera out yet. My whole plan to do this, and, and this is why I'm excited about it, I'm planning on going to about four different places for four different sits the beginning of the season, scouting my way in, doing an observation sit, and hanging cameras on hot sign. Okay. I don't, I don't dislike that approach. And that's just, that's, that's going to be how I'm, I'm going to run with it. And when I go back into those areas, if the cameras aren't hot, I'm going to, you know, keep on moving, pull them and move, you know, yeah. do a little yeah. run and gun camera work also. Well, I'll tell you one thing you are missing. You're missing the excitement that I got today when at, uh, I want to say it was 11, 10 o'clock, maybe 1030 this morning. Uh, number one hit lister come roaming past my camera. I know. I want cameras out. I'm usually so much more prepared than this, at least in the camera game. And I, I'm just not this year. I've been so unbelievably busy and I'm just, I'm looking forward to season. I do have time to hunt this year, which is like crazy exciting for me, but I'm just behind. Yeah. I mean, really, all that does is hype you up a little bit, maybe give you a little bit of intel come season, maybe potentially what could happen. But, you know, in all reality, we're two weeks out from our opener. Uh, anything can change from here to then. Food sources are going to start changing. Crops are going to be picked. You know, apples are falling right now. Acorns are going to start falling. There's a lot of things that are going to start changing in the next two weeks. No, I would totally agree. The other thing that I'm kind of like not on the fence about, but I'm going to try this year. I've like every year I've always said, I'm going to keep a camera in my bag because when I'm out there, inevitably I run across something. I'm like, man, I could really put a camera on that. I'll be back. And I never end up going back. So I do want to have some cameras like in my bag. So when I see some stuff, I can throw them out there. And if they don't pan out, you know, go get them. And I have a reason to go back. Got to grab it, throw it out in another spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I will say that, uh, I used to love doing that in certain spots and two things that happened to me that, I don't know if I'll go. I probably still will do it in the future, but just bad breaks. You know, two things happen. One, I it carries in my book bag all year round, and I don't ever put the camera up. <laughs> or two, the time that I put it up and end up climbing up the tree was the time I had that absolute giant eight point that my brother ended up shooting later in the year. And that deer was standing right underneath me with my bow still on the ground. And had I not put that camera up before climbing the tree, probably would have been a different story. Oh, so, yeah, those things kind of <laughs> haunt you, you know? Yeah, man, I could see that happening for sure. That's uh, that's one of those things, man. It's it's going to be a little trial and error, but I don't know. Yeah. I know you got some really good ones on camera. I've had a few people send me and, and show me some pictures that they've had lately. And it's... uh. I think it's going to be a freaking great. It seems like it. It seems like this is the year where a lot of big deer are going to fall across the country, especially in our state. Uh, it just looks really good. I would agree. Well, speaking across the country, why don't we go ahead and explain a little bit what we got going for everybody this evening? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. We took a break from the saddle series. It is coming back, guys, I promise you. But we had a little bit of an opportunity. Another podcast reached out. They wanted to do a little bit of a collab, a little bit of a, uh, you know, a guest share spot. And we brought them on. And I'm pretty excited about it, man. I've always kind of been into, you know, whiskey and bourbon, a little bit of scotch, but whiskey and whitetails reached out and they were like hey do you want to trade guest spots and you know learn about some whiskey and talk some hunting and stuff and i was like dude yes absolutely. freaking lutely and we talked a little bit of hunting we talked a lot about whiskey and i learned an absolute ton man what about you yeah 100 percent. i was so excited for this one as i'm kind of getting into that realm of whiskey and bourbons and 
I'm go, I'm starting to kind of dip my toes in that side of things. And when you showed me the email that they reached out, I could not tell you fast enough. Like, yes, let's get them on immediately. And the crazy part is we talked forever on this episode. They were in the middle of a hurricane. We're talking for hours and hours and hours. And we could have them back on tomorrow and learn a ton more about three or four different topics that we wanted to cover that we never even got a chance to get to. I would totally agree, man. Honestly, first first and foremost, shout out to them for freaking braving a hurricane to podcast. I mean, that's just, that's bananas, man. But no, we did. We This is a different episode. Like, we have never done anything like this before. Like, this is a hunting podcast. We talk about hunting, and we did. But this is like, this is a hardcore whiskey podcast, man. It's it's pretty freaking legit. If you have any interest in it whatsoever, check out their podcast. Listen to this one. I mean, you're going to learn a ton. Uh, 100%. I, these guys are so knowledgeable. What they do and the platform that they have, I absolutely love it. I mean, we had a ton of fun. I know that for sure. I know there's a lot of people out there that are just like us. They want to sit down by the fire, turn on a podcast, and pour himself a nice whiskey. And here you go. Totally, man. <laughs> Here's your opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, this is just one that I was excited about. I know you were. And and like you said, I mean, coming down the line, we're going to go on theirs. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more hunting on theirs. But it was just, it was, it was like a freaking experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was almost like own whiskey tasting slash uh like tour yeah it was so much fun it was like a freaking i don't want to say it was like a seminar because it wasn't but it was like it was like a one-on-one class yeah for sure yeah pretty wild pretty wild we probably ought to quit holding it from everybody huh yeah all right we'll get on gus brown and matt green from whiskey and whitetails here they are guys all right guys we are back we have probably the most different episode that we've ever brought to the whitetail distraction podcast tonight but also in the same sense, we probably have the most interesting podcast that we will bring you from the White Tail Distraction Podcast. We have our buddies, Matt Green, Gus Brown from Whiskey and Whitetail. Boys, what is going on? What's happening? It's 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 Maron for by the way, for Brown. Is it? I yeah. <laughs> see, I took French. Uh, six <laughs> years good. of it actually. What's what's Brown in French? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> six years of nice. French one. Uh, you know, I was actually really good when you languages are one of those things where when you're doing it and you're taking the language, and you're learning it, you know it very well. But as soon as you stop, you know, like 10 years ago, you pretty much lose everything. So 100%, 100%. yeah, it's like totally I do know. Green, I think I think green is vert, but I could be wrong. Completely right. wrong. It's verde in yeah. Spanish. So it could yeah. be vert in French. They're pretty close. So <laughs> like already <laughs> off on a tangent, of course. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's the way it goes here. <laughs> gentlemen i understand that you guys are not only braving a hurricane well tropical storm i guess at this point right for us but um i really appreciate that number one hey we're in the middle of it if uh if either of us cut out that it was with loss of power internet so it's um i think gus and i live about an hour apart and I, we from the current projections it looks like the eye is going to come right between the two of us or it's going to hit me directly mm. So. All right. So whiskey and whitetails. I love the name first off, first and foremost, <laughs> but we have to, we have to understand some context behind this whole thing. And the way we like to start our show is a little introduction to who you guys are. So if you want to take turns here and you can introduce yourselves, whiskey and whitetails, however it falls into place. I'll let Gus run with it. All right. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm Gus Brown. Um, I am by day, I'm a 
IT guy. I work in cybersecurity. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But I've been a, a lifelong outdoorsman. Matt is actually my childhood best friend. We've known each other since we were four, I think. Um, and both, you know, took different paths in life. Uh, in life, our, you know, our parents, you know, went different directions with their careers. So we uh, sort of drifted apart, kept in touch, and then um, through a series of just wild events, he ended up sleeping on my couch. Uh, a few years back after he got out of the army, um, interviewing for a job and landed, uh, started a new career down here in Charleston where I was living at the time. And uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of a, a you know short background. Um, as far as whiskey and whitetail, whitetails goes, it was actually, we, we had a previous company um, that was related to the outdoors and we had a podcast associated with that. And we had started a sort of a sub-series of that podcast during the whitetail season. And we were just going to call it whiskey and whitetails. And we were going to talk about, we were just going to drink a whiskey and talk about how whitetail season was. We put that episode out and the feedback and the response that we got from people was so just overwhelmingly positive that it got our, you know, our kind of our wheel spinning. And we had a, um, a mutual friend at the time who was a kind of an entrepreneur business guy. And he was like, if you don't do something with that as a business, I'm straight up stealing that name to do something with it because <laughs> you guys have something there. So we were like, well, I guess we better get our shit together. And uh, we, we we brainstormed for a solid 48 hours straight texting, phone calls. Um, on a car drive. On a car, yeah. Separate I was, car drives. Yeah, he was driving back from Kentucky for a hunting trip. I was actually hauling a U-Haul full of supplies down to Louisiana. It was actually after they got hit by that bad hurricane. And so we're on the phone and uh, I got to the hotel that night and secured the LLC, um, bought domain names. Uh, he he was securing social media handles. In about three, three and a half days, we had a full-fledged, administratively anyways, company. Even though we weren't 100% sure totally what we wanted to do, um, we knew that we wanted to be in, the, in, in this space from a perspective of after the hunt. Like the things that bring people together after you're done hunting, sitting down around a campfire, sharing a whiskey, you know, sitting on on Zoom around some microphone, sharing a whiskey and shooting the shit with good people that are like minded and just really finding ways to center the company around the fellowship and the camaraderie that sort of is found at that intersection of whiskey and hunting. And so that's kind of where we are. We're about three years into it. We have a line of products. Uh, we teach whiskey classes. We do we do big events, you know, wedding type events and um, teach classes, dinners. We work with some private stuff. chefs. Like we, like yeah. uh, we have restaurants that will come to us for for wild game pairings or you know any kind of pairing really that has to do with whiskey. We're both. We went through the. We went to Kentucky and went to the executive bourbon steward class at Moonshine University to kind of get our. So we kind of know what we're talking about, kind of vibe. And then a lot of our classes are just straight research, hours and hours of, of just research. And so we've learned a lot in that aspect. You know, it's like you grow up hunting and you grow up around alcohol. But it's like we, we felt as though nobody's an expert on hunting, but we were really, really good, you know, at how, you know, how to read a deer, how, how a four-year-old deer moves, how a two-year-old deer moves, how an older buck moves, how a doe moves. But it's like the whiskey thing. We, we had to really focus on that. And we did for the last two years. I mean, we've really focused on it. And um, I don't think we're bored. It's just like we're ready to get back into hunting. We've been sacrificing <laughs> hunting for the whiskey. And then... And it wasn't a, a sacrifice and as it means, but, you know, when the bourbon starts to drop, the allocated stuff that you can't get, when that starts to drop, it's it's about October. So November, October, December, I mean, it's, there's a lot of bourbon hunting going on, a lot of bourbon events. It's just everything around the whiskey is around the same time that hunting season is. And um, this is our first year kind of being like, I think we're, I think we're good. We're going to give <laughs> 
focus more on hunting again. So we're back in the whitetail space and we're very excited to be back into it. It hadn't gone away. It's just, we definitely focus way more attention on. Yeah. I think you can uh, say that you've proven that for the fact that your season's already started here. And I'm guessing you guys have been doing some hunting already. hundred percent. Yeah. August 15th, which is wild. What do you consider how hot it is in South Carolina? And, and, People always say like, well, we have humidity here too. And I just say, yeah, you're right. You do. <laughs> but you, like, you don't really know until you come down here. I mean, we, I have Florida friends that'll come up here in August and they're like, well, it's hot in Florida, you know, whatever. They come up here and like, dude, I am dying, dying. <laughs> Florida people just dying. It's so hot. Right, guys? I mean, it's miserable. It's, it's, Um, I, I'll, I'll say this, like I hunt sporadically throughout this year just to kind of get into, but I'm. I'm not in the like I'm I'm not I'm not I'm honestly like I'm not enjoying it to be to be completely honest I'm not like in that headspace because and I feel like I don't really get in that that headspace until it's cooler outside till I step outside and I gotta throw a jacket or a hoodie on and then it's like ah white tails right um, I'm out there just kind of going through the motions now because I can you know I'm trying to get a read on on what the deer are doing on the properties that we hunt and um, just play the game so to speak but. I'll be honest, man, it is not, it is miserable. It is hotter than hell. And, uh, you know, mosquitoes are terrible. It's, uh, but you know, it's fun. We get out there, you know, deer are, are this time of year down here are starting to break up from the bachelor group. Some of them are in velvet still, some are not. So there is an opportunity to get a velvet buck, which is kind of cool. Um, but there's also opportunities to get hogs and stuff this time of year as well. So that's kind of a plus you can go out there and the way things, some of the properties we hunt have been getting hit a lot with, uh, flooding so it's been pushing the hogs further inland so there's there's more chances i think we've the, the one the bigger property we hunt gavin or matt sorry <laughs> gavin's my older son um <laughs> matt i think i think they've trapped like 15 hogs and shot another five or six just in the in the last month so yeah it's a problem you know gives you reason to get out there and, and get sweaty definitely, the other definitely. Thing too, before we move on from that just to like settle in on how hot it is so mid july august which is hot for most people the the deer are moving like I I got them on day cameras just just they're out there eating doing their doing what deer do and then we had this heat wave come through like August twelfth I want to say and I haven't seen those bucks on camera since then I mean it's just been they're not moving they're just not moving at all like we had them on camera every day coming in the morning coming in the evening and now you don't see them at all and it's not like it's pressured woods and still nobody's really in there but to go yeah. sit in a stand and you're dying and then you're like <laughs> Why am I even here? There's no way these deer are moving. They're just not going to move. And you can't kill a doe until September 15th. So oh man, the only thing you're looking for is velvet. I think they're, they're betting just, near, I think they're prioritizing water. They're betting yeah. near water and they're just not moving much. Yeah. If I was a deer, um, I'd be laying in water. hundred percent. hundred percent. I am not, I'm, I'm jealous that you guys are able to hunt, but at the same time, I am not jealous of that heat and no. I don't want to rub it in, but it's like 62 degrees here right now. Rub it in with a light drizzle, <laughs> with a light drizzle. This is the perfect whitetail day yeah. today that you could ever imagine. If you wrote up the weather that you want to kill an absolute giant today was that day. Yeah. Like 100% today was that day. It was phenomenal. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's real feel 92 right now at 919 oh. p.m. So it's uh, the actual temperature is 78. I think it's the humidity. Yeah. But we've been seeing 80s at night. I was just going to ask, like, does it cool down during the evenings and overnight? Because I was in lower Virginia um, probably about a month ago. And I kid you not, that humidity and heat never stopped. It was two in the morning and it was still felt like 90 degrees out. And you would walk outside and just get punched in the face by the humidity. My wife's from Virginia. It's worse than that here. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. So I have a question for yeah. you guys. 
you're out there hunting. It's a million degrees. What are you guys wearing? Are you rocking like Crocs and swim trunks or what do you got going on? <laughs> no, man, we have uh, extremely venomous snakes here. So we're wearing <laughs> snake boots to our knees. Um, the mosquitoes will eat you alive if you have skin showing. And if your th clothing is thin, they will go through the clothing into your skin. So you actually have to wear something. You have to wear more than one shirt um, for sure. And then you're wearing a mosquito net over your face. So it's you're sweating. You're just sitting there stinking. That's all you're doing. You're stinking, stinking, stinking. Oh, now, are you yeah. guys rocking any merino wool base layers to try to help with that? Gus I do. does. Yeah. yeah, I I wear merino wool. I I don't I don't typically wear to it. So Matt and I have different approaches, which makes it fun, right? We we hunt a lot together, and we take different approaches to a lot of stuff. So it gives us fun stuff to compare results. To, you know, how are things working for you? Vice versa. Matt is not a huge fan of thermocell. He swears the deer can smell them. I've never had an it. issue with them. So I I I rock a thermocell, and I'll I'll wear single layers. Um, a lot of merino wool said snake boots and you know that's that's how i go i you know i, I have success seeing deer and, and, and seeing animals but that being said like there's been times where i've forgotten a thermocell and i've not had you know a second layer to throw on and it is a miserable sit like i'm talking you know you, can, can wife cannot count the number of bug bites on my back and my like it's just it's, it's bad we have a friend that captured it a couple of years ago, he had taken, he had, wasn't wearing a hat and he was walking to his, we, everything we hunt is basically in the swamp because it, it's South Carolina. If it's not a swamp, there's houses on it. it, it it's just the way it is down here. Okay. But he's walking through the swamp where, where we hunt and he does this, wipes his face. And before his hand gets to his nose, his forehead is black with mosquitoes. Oh man. That's so we're not exaggerating. One. No, I, I, I believe you. And that's not anything I ever want to deal with. I, I want to, I would rather, ha I'd rather be smelled by the thermocell than, uh, than deal with that, to be honest. But see, the thing, I think the key with the thermocell is deer don't, don't know what a thermocell is. They don't relate it to danger. So the key is you can't leave any witnesses because if you leave a witness <laughs> and they smell thermocell and then you might graze or miss one and then you're in trouble, he's going to tell all his dear friends. So all of them, you know, you That's just got, you absolutely just have to kill every single deer that smells your thermocell or else you're yeah. you're done that's Agreed. a good hypothesis 100%. yeah and i see it as actually two pieces of kit it keeps the, the bugs away but it's also a it's a great wind you know, it is helps, you know yeah helps them with the, the, the wind direction so play the wind keep that thing blowing blowing behind you and, uh, i used to hunt with it and and we gus and i see the same amount of success or whatever however you want to measure it but uh him hunting with a thermocell me not um i used to i just don't anymore because every time i did it it was like the my first sergeant in the army or whatever. I could just hear him yelling at me, like, "What are you? What are you? What are you scared of bugs?" You know, so it's, so for, it's 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 just a mental blocker for me. Like, I just can't do it. So I could, I just have to sit there and embrace the suck and and sweat to death. But I, I honestly I don't think thermocell hurts. Um, I think you know if if you're not super manly, then thermocells are good for you. Yeah, <laughs> you're a real man, Matt. I'm gonna keep rocking the thermocell. Yeah, me too. Me too. Good for you, man. Uh, I mean, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. It, in all reality, it is a foreign scent that a white tail somewhere is not gonna like. You, you can know, smell it. Yeah. I can smell it. If uh, yeah. I can smell it, they can definitely 100%. smell it. Hundred percent. They're yeah. they're smelling it, and if they get downwind of you. I mean, in all reality, if it's 100 degrees and they get downwind of you, whether you have a thermocell or not, I'm guessing that you're going to be stinking enough that you're going to get right. busted one way or the other. Yeah. You're exactly right. You yeah. know. It's a mute point. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a stupid argument that we have. It's like, what's better? You know, you compare beers, light beers. They're all kind of the same. And it's like, no, they're not. Well, you know, <laughs> hunting with thermocell, hunting without. It's like, you know, it's just a camp you sit in, you know. 
And I'm not saying I wouldn't hunt with a thermosel. I just typically don't. Yeah. I can I, appreciate that. I like to bring mine with me. And then if I have to use it, like last resort, I have to use it. I'm going to use it because at, at that point, if I'm swatting and I'm doing this, you know, over and over again, trying to catch them with my fingers and they're, they're always the fastest mosquitoes too. Like you can never yeah. just, just grab them like any normal. No, they're, they dodge, they duck, they dip. I mean, the mosquitoes they are die. like ninjas out there. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to go with it, but I just, I stopped my dodgeball reference just short. So you do have mosquitoes. Do you have the fly, the what do we have, Gus? I think they're hummingbirds. I don't know. I don't. I don't <laughs> swat at mosquitoes. I just sit there and let them, because yeah. I, I've always been told like if if a mosquito gets in you and you swat at it and break that needle off, like that's when you get like the welts. Mm. So I just let them do their thing. Like they just come up. I hate it, you know. And they're like, they're just drinking my blood, and it's like it is what it is, man. Just do your thing and get the fuck off me. And then they leave, but. Every once in a while, you'll hear like this. It sounds like the biggest hornet on the planet. And you and I don't move. And I just hear like you guys have that. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how you withstand that, because that's like the number one thing I can't stand is when they buzz the tower. Like that's probably worse than them biting me. (laughs) It's so scary because you don't know what it is. It's like this. This this might be a murder hornet. Like Joe Biden released all the murder hornets. I think there's one flying above my head right now. That is too That's funny, man. Not a risk I'm willing to take, Matt. <laughs> I don't think a thermostat is going to help you in that point either. So either way, you're going. Probably down. not. <laughs> I just wondered if you had them up there. You had those buzzing things. Like they eat. I think they're eating mosquitoes because they don't ever sting me. I just think they're eating mosquitoes. What do you think they are, Gus? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea, man. We got a lot of things that buzz. By I have my thermostat on, so they don't bother me. <laughs> my man, my man. It's yeah. funny. We have good years and we have bad years. Like there's some years you go out and they are absolutely non-existent. Like we might get usually our opener. We have an early opener. It's special regulation areas, and we typically go hunt them. But our main opener is typically uh, October first, October second, around 1st. there sometime. Yeah. So a lot of the time, it gets cool enough that we don't have to deal with them, but. On those off years that it's warm, boy, you better have your thermocell. And I think we can relate pretty well because both of us really like hunting swamps and we do mm-hmm. a lot of swamp hunting. And if it is one of those warm years and you're in there, you're going to get chewed up. I mean, it's <laughs> there's no way around it. Yeah, it's bad. Even the thermocell sometimes don't truly help you. It just depends. Yeah. I mean, you got to hope for the best. I always have a backup cartridge backup two or three of those pads just so yeah. you know you can change them out if you need to but yep. try to never let that's one bit of it. it i don't hunt with a backpack i can just roll up with the bow and, and the saddle and, and climb up and sit i gotta worry I'm like i bring a water clip to my uh belt and that's that's really really all i bring gus gus likes to bring little debbies and <laughs> and what all do you bring you're saying jerky and bring, bring binoculars and uh range with yeah, yeah, yeah i bring a, a uh a strap to pull a deer out. Oh, that's smart. But it. Listen, buddy. Bring your phone number. Don't be hating on little number. Debbie. Don't be hating on my <laughs> homegirl. That's his. That is his homegirl. <laughs> oh, never. There's no hate. There's no hate. It's all love. It's just I. You know, I just sit there and suffer and wish I was eating a little Debbie with a cell. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I mean, come out. Come like uh, Halloween, and you get the little you oh. get the little jack o' lanterns, and then once you start getting into Christmas season, you got the little Christmas trees, and then. Okay. You got the OG so, oatmeal cream pies. <laughs> Come on, man. Pockets are stuffed with Christmas tree cakes. That's a hundred percent fact. Yeah. I ate a ton of those. But yeah. That's about it. Um, snacks don't really start coming out with me until until the rut. When the all day sits start, that's when that's when the snacks and snacks come in. 100%. Yeah. I will uh I'm gonna let you guys in on a, a well known secret here in our show. Uh, but it's not well known worldwide. You're gonna tell them. I'm gonna tell them because oh I like these guys. I trust them. <laughs> you know. 
Oh yeah. You may not know it, but a nutty buddy could or could not be a true deer attractant. I have killed many, many deer with a nutty buddy open sitting on my seat or sitting in my backpack because I open it to eat it. Boom. Here come the deer. Well, if you go to whiskeyandwhitetails.com and use code podcast, you can save 10% on our nutty buddy deer attractant. We just invented today. <laughs> Let me get this posted real quick. Yeah, hurry up. <laughs> really, man, that's a, that's interesting. That's a real thing or are you just saying? No, man, it is uncanny. Like we've been on hunts together where we've been hunting uh, just, I don't know, 30 yards apart and we're literally texting back and forth. It might be 930 in the morning. We're getting ready to get down and Charles is like, hey watch that. I'm not exaggerating. We were down in our early regulation area. We weren't seeing anything, man. It was a terrible morning. Good morning to be out in the woods, but terrible morning. And literally he cracked it open. I kid you not. 25 seconds later, here come a group of does. Yeah. Three doe come right in. Uncanny. Like, have you tested it on uh, like a trail camera? Like just throw out nutty buddy out there, see what happens? That is a great research project that I'm going to have you to try <laughs> because 100%. it has happened too many times to be coincidence at this point. Like there's something there. It, I'm yeah. I'm not kidding. Like one of my biggest bucks I've ever shot. I was literally opening up and I was eating. I was halfway through my nutty buddy and I look up and boom, here comes the buck. And I had to set it down on my climber seat at the time and shoot the deer. Like it's happened to me probably close to half a dozen times. And and I I mean now in all fairness, I'm not always eating nutty buddies out there. But when I need something to change for me, I'm bringing the nutty buddy. It's the it's the good luck go to. Nice. What are the seasons like up there? You have a bow opener? Is that how it works? Or yeah, our uh, our season kicks off archery. So like mid September, September sixteenth this year. Yeah, this year yeah. it's September sixteenth. That's our early season that kicks off around Pittsburgh. So we have two two areas in PA that are uh, early regulations. It's somewhere around uh, Philly, and then somewhere around Pittsburgh. Like, well, obviously we know where the Pittsburgh one is. We hunt it, but. That's just those two WM, what do we call them? WMUs. WMUs? Okay. Um, those two units open up two weeks early before our statewide archery. And you can kill buck or doe. It used to just be doe only. They changed it a couple of years ago to buck or doe. So some guys are down there. They're hunting backyards of neighborhoods shooting 180-inch deer on, oh, yeah. you know, opener. Like, it's insane. Some of the deer down in the Pittsburgh area are absolutely insane. Yeah. So we usually go down. We just try to get two or three sits in in the early season, basically just to get, you know, your backpack in order, your climbing method in order, all the kinks out. You go down there. It's usually hot. You screw up a couple times. Last year, I shot two doe um, from the ground, actually walking in. I ended up spotting and stalking these these doe eating acorns. And, uh, you know, that was like the first time I think we actually had success in the last four or five years in that early season. Yeah, that's right. Had some close calls. Um, but I think those are the first kills we've had, but it's just fun. It's nice to get down there and just by the time the statewide opener comes up, which, you know, tradition for me, me, my whole family, like my brothers hunt, my, my dad, some friends, we all go up to our camp and first day we go up to our camp and everyone's scrambling and I'm just sitting by the fire enjoying a beverage. (laughs) <laughs> and like all my stuff's packed up. I have my backpack yeah. perfectly in order. You know, we, we saddle hunt. So everything, like everything in my saddles together. I also one stick. So like that's all packed on my bag. Everything's like perfect, ready to go. I literally roll into camp and never leaves the back of my truck. Everything's ready. Bring the bow in the camp, start drinking. So do you bow hunt all season? Yeah. So our archery season is seven weeks long, not counting the two week early period. So within that, though, <laughs> yeah. Pennsylvania is just stupid, man. 
I mean, honestly, it's just stupid. You get two weeks of freedom, and really you don't because technically our squirrel season's in right now. So you can be out walking through the woods just blasting squirrels. So during archery season, they could still, you know, be hunting squirrels. Not that big of a deal. But after the first two weeks comes in a bear muzzleloader season. Mm. And it's it's wild. It's a big deal in PA. It's stupid big deal, especially up, you know, where my camp is. It's a huge bear area. I mean, we're talking big woods, Allegheny National Forest, really well known for giant, giant black bear. So that season comes in. And the first year wasn't horrible guys were kind of figuring it out and you know they were hunting with muzzleloaders and i've seen a lot of success well the big thing with bear hunting here the way you are successful in those big woods around us is you push you drive you get 20 guys together you walk every inch of the woods driving the bear everywhere so they've come to realize that seniors and juniors can use rifles during this season so now they've taken away the orange regulations for archery so our us archers are out in the woods with no orange on walking around and you got 25 guys, potentially, typically 20, 15 to 20 groups is what I see, um, pushing the woods. Some have high-powered rifles. Other ones have muzzleloaders, and they're trying to hunt deer. But they also will throw, like, a crossbow on their back. So if they see a deer, they can pull the crossbow and shoot the deer. <laughs> it's wild. So that absolutely just creates this huge, like, disarray in our, our archery season. I mean, it just sends deer everywhere really yeah. boogers them up i mean that's when after the first two weeks you really now you have pressured deer like big time pressured and don't get me wrong our archery hunters they've grown significantly oh definitely over the last five ten years there's more archery hunters in pennsylvania now than there ever was and it's tenfold so it's good it is good it's actually great but i would rather see pressure from people that are hunting deer you know typical deer archery ways than guys walking through the woods trying to push for for bear for a week yeah 100 percent. you know and then it's just one season after another after that that kind of comes in there's a short three-day youth season that they can use rifles for doe only there's a muzzleloader doe only season that comes in during archery season and those kind of come in and come out and then you have the last few weeks to yourself for the rut yep with a bow and then it and then it cuts off for a week so they've extended it last what two years ago they extended it an extra week it used to be a six-week season yeah they extended it a week. So then you have a week off. During that week off, bear rifle comes in for three days, I think. Yeah. And uh, then your rifle deer come in for two weeks. And then. And do you guys switch to rifle or you just keep bowing? We do. We do typically. At that point. You'll my, start cheating. Yeah. My goal, <laughs> 100%. My goal at that point is to fill freezer meat. Fill the freezer. Yeah. yeah. Fill the freezer meat. Yeah. I uh I, was, I call mine my my Amex like when it's I'll just grab the American Express my 308 uh Bergera and I just go out and swipe the card and that my it's man. no longer hunting it's just filling the freezer. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh I it's it's funny cuz like my dad doesn't rifle hunt at all. He's he's in the same boat as like the older generation when you grew up and you know you're cheating, yeah. you know that kind of thing. It's funny. But uh you know, he still gets out and tries with the bow, and and he's actually killed deer during the rifle season yeah. with the bow, wearing orange and everything. Like it's not well, easy to do, but he's an animal. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of how our year breaks down. We do have a late archery season that comes back in for I think three weeks, or three something weeks, like that. yeah, something like that. So you know, you could potentially get a late season deer um, back on food sources in January potentially. Um, nice. there's also that season's also a flintlock season. So you're talking traditional flintlock, what? black powder. It is probably flintlock. You can't use the buttons. You have to use flintlock. You have to use a flintlock, flintlock. or and it's in January though. 
Yeah. Correct. Uh, yep. Yeah. That is one of the most fun seasons because all the deer are kind of grouping back up. Like yeah. they're kind of stupid again. They've had a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, that That is actually a lot of fun. It can be. I'd be out there with be. a pistol flintlock, just like mm-hmm. 1776, bro. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yep. We have a buddy who does. <laughs> we do. Yeah. My buddy. Really? My yeah. buddy literally will carry his normal flintlock, 50 caliber, and then he has his pistol on his side for a second shot. It's like the Patriot, and I love it. <laughs> Dude, I will come up and film a flintlock pistol hunt. I will, I will 100% come do that. It's yeah. pretty sweet, man. Honestly. I've wanted him to kill something. He's actually taken multiple shots with it. He's never hit anything, but. He has taken multiple shots. Of course not. <laughs> it's a pistol, full line pistol. Of course not. It's, I saw a meme the other day, and it was like uh, talking about the Second Amendment, and they were like, "We that, that covered flintlock weapons." And the guy's like, "Okay, so here's the scenario: four guys break into my house. Um, I slam one with a fifty cal flintlock right through his chest. <laughs> I saw this. Away. So, yeah, this, he's like the second guy. Like I pull out my pistol and I shoot him, and I kill the neighbor's dog because it's a flintlock pistol." <laughs> I have to retreat uh, to the top of my stairs for the with the cannon, cannon. With the cannon. <laughs> and then we and go then to the, the bayonet. Last, <laughs> the last Julian, he's like, because it's a uh, three uh, three sided bayonet, and there's no way to stitch that up. And he bleeds out waiting for the cops. Yeah, it's a funny meme. <laughs> it's awesome. It's I awesome. I'm out of whiskey. I'm gonna have whiskey, so I'm gonna pour something. But um, what do I, you guys have in front of you there? That's actually a great transition because uh, we've hit the whitetail stuff, and this is the part I really wanted to talk about. So, oh, nice. We'll go back to whitetails. Nah, no, no. We want to talk about. <laughs> we can go back to it. We got. Well, I'll start. Here, this is your. I'll start since I'm empty. Yeah, you. So start. This is a. What I'm drinking. This is the Baker's Seven, and this is one of my favorite whiskeys. They quit making it. Um, they still make the Baker Seven, but the mash changed. So Baker Beam is the one that created this, and um, so it's aged seven years, 107 proof. I think it's delicious, and they quit making it. it comes with this wine bottle with the wax top, and it, they're really you can't get them now. So every once in a while you'll see one pop up, but they're they're truly older. Uh, but it's one of my favorite whiskeys. It's strong. It's a hard punch to it, but it's tons of flavor. And I'm a sucker for the peanut note, and this has a ton of peanut to it. So that's what that. I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna pour. But I see you guys got I see the 107 there. I see oh, yeah. a Jefferson's lid. Is that a yep. Woodford lid? That's that a Woodford is. lid. That's you're it. Right. You're right. See these guys really do know what they're talking about. Huh? Good eye. Yeah. Yes. So, Austin, what have, what have you brought out for us here? Oh, that uh, it. This is actually one of my favorites. It's a Weller. It's the 107, like you said. Um, definitely one of my favorites. I'd say second favorite's a a rye, um, like Basil Hayden dark rye. It's great. Okay. Reasonable I, bottle. Yeah. And it's tasty. I killed it. I all almost the time. grabbed that for you, but instead I grabbed this. I have not it's had double oak. It is a double oak. Yeah. Little Woodford Reserve double oaked. I wanted to try it because I've had other Woodford Reserve that's. I don't remember what it was, but it was a very expensive bottle, and it was delicious. So I wanted to try this one, which is pretty reasonable price. I mean, it's like a $60 bottle. You know, it's actually really tasty. That's what I made our uh, old fashions out of. Oh, damn. Yeah. There with, you go. With our butter's milk uh, smoked, is it the smoked old-fashioned, I believe, mix? I don't know. You made it for me. Yeah, it is. And we also have this. My buddy just gave me this one. So a little Jefferson's Reserve. That's that's the wine one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pritchard yeah. Hill Cabernet Pritchard cask Hill, yeah. finish. It's so finished yeah. in French oak cask from the famous Chapelet Winery. I can read that because what do you I think about French. that one? I haven't tried <laughs> you it. Think yet. about it neat. Haven't tried I'm not it. Not a yet. huge fan. Well, I shouldn't have said that. I should <laughs> no, have drank that's all right. No, that's okay. We I brought it for that. <laughs> so the funny story backstory behind this bottle and some of the other ones I've had. 
like Buffalo Trace and different things. My buddy does pitching lessons. He was major league pitcher, pitched for the Yankees. I grew up with the nice. kid. He's basically my brother. He now does lessons, and one of the fathers of one of his lessons kids is like a huge like whiskey bourbon drinking guy. He goes and gets these crazy bottles and then gives them to my buddy. Well, the thing is, my buddy doesn't drink whiskey really that often, doesn't drink bourbon. And he's like, dude, just come. And and literally, I was over his house. He's mixing Buffalo Trace with Coke. So like, don't get me wrong. Okay. It was phenomenal. <laughs> it was absolutely. It's a cheap bourbon. Phenomenal. It's a mixer bourbon. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, all right, dude, give me a bottle. What do you got? And he gave me this one. So this is batch number 15, bottle number 9,817. So taste it. is subjective. Everyone has a different taste. Like Gus drinks a lot of that woofer. He likes that double oak. It's a good, it's yeah. great. I'm not talking trash about it at all. Um, for that one, the Pritchard Hill, um, taste, like I said, taste is subjective. And I have a ton of bottles of whiskey. It just compared to everything that I that I have, I, you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a huge fan. But it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means my palate didn't try. really agree with it. I can dig it. Gus, what do you have there, man? Um, I'm actually, oddly enough, so you just, Matt, just mentioned that uh, Woodford Double Oaked is a favorite of mine. We actually, I, I figured that out by accident. We did a number of blinds together on the podcast and I chose for my favorite Woodford double Oak on Ooh. like two or three different occasions. And I realized that it's got a, it's got a profile that I just happen to like. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it turns, it turns out after drinking other bourbons, I like, I like the tannin wood notes, the, the, the tannin notes that, that are accompanied by the caramel, the cherry and some of those other things that come along with it. So I actually happened to be drinking another double oaked bourbon, uh, <laughs> Which is the Peerless Double Oak from uh, the Peerless Distillery in uh, in Louisville? Uh, this they put out once. It was it once a year, Matt. Once a year. Yeah. Um, and it, it's distillery only. You have to go there to get it. You can't buy yeah. it. Very it's, cool. It sells fast. It's really it's hard to get. Yeah, it was That's like awesome. how much was that bottle? It, it I didn't I didn't know I it was expensive. Remember. So they she she rang it up and I was like, Ugh. they're expensive. I guess it's, it's around a hundred bucks. I mean, that's a lot of money for for a bottle of whiskey. It was more than that. Was it? Oh yeah, I remember feeling it. Oh. <laughs> I expected a, I expected about a hundred, and I think it was like a hundred and fifty, hundred and forty bucks. Wow, yeah, that makes There's sense. Just more oh, than yeah. I was expecting, but it's it's great. It's a really good. Yeah, yeah. I can dig that. So don't laugh at me. I know you're not going Never. to because you guys are professionals, but Never. listening to your podcast. Okay, so I like bourbon. I'm not a steward like you guys, but I know you guys don't like to talk people into what they are smelling. So I'm going to try right. and give you my best opinion here. I think you should too. But okay. then I want well, you let, to try and me walk you me what through it a little bit. I'm going to tell you what I want. I okay. don't want you to tell me what you taste and smell. I want you to tell me what it reminds you of. What does it remind Like take a step and tell me what it reminds you of. Don't tell me, Karen, don't tell me flavors. What does it remind you of? Smell, tell me what it reminds you of. Taste, what does it remind you of? And then we'll go from there. It could be a place. Uh, are a you both drinking Pritchard Hills? We Experience. are. Okay. Hmm. That's different. Do you want my honest opinion? <laughs> yeah. The the memory that I have right now is mixing cement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not a fan of that one. <laughs> really? Mixing cement. <laughs> okay. It, first thought that came to my mind was like a, a beach house. On, like a, I was thinking about when we went down to the beach for a wedding uh, for my, my wife's brother. That's that's what first came to mind. I don't know why, but that's what I... well. Some of the Jefferson, I don't know if that one, I don't remember if that one is or not, but some of the Jeffersons are ocean aged and some people say it imparts a salty like sea flavor to it. I don't know that it, that one is or not. It, it would tell you if it was ocean aged, it'll tell you. It should say it right there in the front where it yeah. says Jefferson's right under that. It should say ocean aged if it is. No. Okay. I don't think, I don't think that one is. No. 
It says it but, bottled well, bottled for McLean and Kine, Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. But wine casks, wine casks can impart different types of, of of flavors and notes that may have a uh, a saltier, if you will, profile from from the wine itself. Okay, so that may be what's what what's bringing that to you. That same salty taste for you may be more of a chemical, which may you know, <laughs> or, to you or sweat may, rolling you, down your face. <laughs> which may, yeah, which may remind you of, of mixing cement. Um, <laughs> this is this is what tasting and and thinking about memories. What's why it's so fun. Yeah. Well, let me ask this: Would you guys be opposed to chugging that and then pouring double oak, and then we we doing the we walk through a tasting on double oak? Threaten me with would a good you time. be opposed to God, that I, idea? I poured that heavy. Oh, you did. Cheers. I poured nice and light. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! I feel like I'm drinking a cab right now. That's how my mouth so you feels. Sh- you yeah. should get some of that dry Cabernet taste out of that. Yeah. But but now we'll go to the double oak. Do, do a little a little heavier of a pour. I'm not going to make you chug this one. But when you pour it, I want you to sit the glass on the ground. And if you can see my hand. Set it on the ground. Use, I'm going to use a Space Jam DVD. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Nice. If you can do this for me, just swirl it around. Just get it to swirl around some. You want to pour it yeah, there, pour it for me. Why not? All right. It's your chance to do your dance. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of clinking space and clanking. So you want me space to... Jam reference. Yeah, well, so we're aerating it like wine just, right now, basically. Yeah, just spin it around. Well, what I actually, what I'm actually getting you to do is to uh, coat the glass with it, so you're getting rid of the Jefferson stuff in there. Now it is yeah, going to okay. blend some of it with it, but there's not enough to really make a difference. Okay. I just want you to get the glass wet with that with that double oak. That way, everything in the glass should smell like double oak. Okay. Is what, is what I'm asking. Perfect. Okay. So now, cool. Without drinking, give it a smell and tell me tell me what you think of a memory, a mammary. Ooh, don't I can take, already tell don't, you. I'm don't like take this too more. big of a sniff. Okay, I got that from their podcast. Don't throw your nose all in there. You got to get it. So you got to treat it like a fine woman. So you got like you can't run mm. up in there and stick your nose in yeah. her armpit. Yeah, you, you can't just Joe like, Biden her. You got to like yeah. take it easy. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's like a stewardess when she walks by in a plane. Like you can smell her when she walks by. <laughs> you can. But if you stick your nose in the aisle, that's a little weird. You know. So the the first smell, God, it's so good. This one smells a lot better. Uh, the first yeah. smell, I felt like I smelled apples, but then the second smell was more like cutting apple wood. That's fine. Does it remind you of anything? It reminds me of like wood shop, wood shop shavings. Okay. As it should. It's double oaked. There's yeah. a bunch of wood smell like, in there. Like, oh, yeah. the, like the burned up stuff that somebody's stuck on it. They didn't cut fast enough. So what, so what happens with God, bourbon is good. there's there's laws to bourbon. So we call it the ABCs of bourbon. So A, so for instance, well, I, I don't want to screw you up in your own podcast, so I won't ask you this question. But typically when we teach classes, we'll go, everybody knows bourbon has to be made where? And everyone will say Kentucky. And that's not right. Bourbon has to be made in America. Yes, I did okay? know that. So must be made in America. B is brand new charred oak barrel. So it's got to go in a brand new barrel. You can't use a used barrel. Brand new, and it's got to be charred. It's actually, the law doesn't say barrel. It says container. Brand new charred oak container. So it could be a bucket, but barrels just work better, and that's what uh, 100% of everyone uses. So mm. barrels. Uh, C, corn has to be made of 51% corn. Um, D, distilled. It can't be distilled higher than 125. And the rule used to be 115. And there's some companies that still use that 115, but that's, that's, no, I, I said it, I, I screwed you up. Distilled, yeah, distilled to 160. 160, me. yeah. yeah. And, then e and so enter the barrel. So it can't enter the barrel. So yeah, I'm sorry. Corn 51%, D distilled, can be distilled higher than 160 proof. 
It can't go into the barrel at that proof. The highest it can go in is 125. So they will cut it with water, bring it down to 125 proof, and they'll put it in the barrel. So F is filled. It can't be filled. It can't be any lower than 80 proof. And so that's where you get to the fireball whiskey conversation. They're like, oh, I love fireball. It's good whiskey. Well, fireball is <laughs> under 80 proof. So fireball is not whiskey, period. It's by disgusting the law. regardless. <laughs> Amen. Well, yes, but if I'm at a bar at night and someone's like, you want a shot of fireball and they're paying for it, I'm going to drink it. <laughs> but I agree with you. I don't buy fireball. But yeah, 80 proof. So G is genuine. It can't have any artificial flavoring, can't have any colors put into it. It has to be genuine, straight. That's what it is. And that's how you make bourbon. So the rules for whiskey are different, but that's bourbon. So for a double oaked product, in order for them to maintain the word bourbon, they have to take it from a brand new charred oak barrel and they have to put it in another brand new charred oak barrel. Damn. So you're getting a ton of wood. And that's and that's why it should smell like wood. And yeah. it doesn't matter what kind of wood. It could be apple wood, could be cherry wood. Yeah. It is a, it's just wood. So the notes that you're getting subsequent to that are just, just notes you're picking up. So how about on the taste? Way better. Was it remind you of? Mm, wow. I don't want to be cliche here and say a giant tree, but that's what it reminds me of. A giant <laughs> fucking tree. That's, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, Are you picking up any any other notes? Any fruits, any grains, any any baking spices, anything? There's another Which taste there, but I'm not like privy enough to understand what out. I'm There's, tasting. Like, almost like a almost like caramel, almost, almost like an anise, almost. Yeah, that that so an, uh, anise would be a baking spice. Anise. So when people, <laughs> when people say it's when people say it tastes like baking spices, we're always like, okay, which one? Because there's one? like thousands. Yeah. So anise would be a very good implement of baking spice. So you could say it tastes like baking spice, and then I would be a dick and be like, which one? And you'd be like anise, and I'd be like, hey, I'm proud of you. You went that deep. <laughs> there we go. That so it's That's not, very deep. Not pronounced anus then. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> right. Like, okay, doesn't well, I mean, taste like anus. No, it shouldn't taste like anus. But <laughs> no, that's I can tasty, make it though. taste like anus. And so, like, you can walk. You know, you can as you God, if you choose to continue practicing this. You know, and, and work on your palate. You can walk yourself down into more granular things. So, you know, one example I like to use for something like a, a double oak whiskey is maybe it reminds you of uh of of Christmas, right? You have I can see tree that. smells. You have uh smell of maybe cookies right well what what it is about the cookie well it's it's that baking spice well which well so maybe it's snickerdoodle right so there's mm -hmm. you have cinnamon you can just work your way down as, as you think through it and go from and so people say well i don't know how to do what you guys are doing like you do you just you just need to work from the you macro need, and work you need to drink more you need to drink more. <laughs> and you, you can figure That's it fair. out that is fair. I would agree with you 110%. I would say before I tried this Woodford Double Oaked that the Angel's Envy was probably my favorite bottle prior to this one. I loved it. Great bottle. Great yeah. Bottle. We got a, uh, we were in Kansas City my for a work event. My boss and I and a bunch of us got the smoked old fashioned. And I'm like, holy shit, what is this? It's Angel's Envy. I'm like, I've never heard of that before. I'm very, very much so a novice in this whole world. I found the bottle. That thing went way too quick. I didn't know you could turn that into like three drinks only if you pour it heavy enough. <laughs> you take it to the camp and it's like, oh, you got to try this. And instead of doing a two ounce drink, you're doing maybe an eight ounce. So, so if you don't mind, take another smell and think fruit and tell me what if you smell any fruit. Definitely do. Like you can smell the sweetness of a fruit. But Definitely. Can you can you determine which fruit you smell? I don't want to say apricot, but I want to say apricot. That's See, fine. I was, I was thinking a nut. When I was smelling that, not a fruit. You can get a nut. 
I don't know. Is it a is it a peanut nut or like an almond nut? No, like or, an almond or a like a, a pecan. pecan or yeah. something. Is it more of a dust than a nut or is it a nut? I'm thinking like a like a nut that you would get at a fair with like some kind of coating on it. You're smelling you the go. cinnamon. You're smelling that cinnamon. There you that, go. Like yeah. a cinnamon. Like yeah. a candied pecan. Go. Yes, candied pecans that I've candied had pecan. actually around Christmas time at the uh, downtown Pittsburgh. Congratulations. You just wrote a review on if, <laughs> Yeah, if you just take the last 30 seconds of this conversation, you just wrote a whiskey review. That's oh, what yeah? you just did. Let's that's that's, all, that's yeah. all they are. You just kind of just keep thinking about it. Just keep thinking about it, tasting it, thinking about it, tasting it. Yeah. So the apricot's good. If I, if you put it to your nose real quick and I say the word banana, can you pull banana out? I didn't want to say banana, but thousand percent. I was going to say banana. I didn't. You know what? As I was sitting here, I'm like, is banana a fruit? <laughs> I was thinking well, the sweet. <laughs> I was thinking banana, but I'm like, I ain't saying banana. That just sounds stupid. I'm going to say something else, no. I think. Dude, I was sitting here waiting for a banana. I had to say it because <laughs> I wanted you to smell it. But the banana, here's here's my favorite, one of our favorite parts of the whiskey class. So when you when you introduce a lot of wood into a whiskey, so an aged whiskey or a double oaked whiskey, there's a lot of wood involved. And Brown Foreman specifically is who owns Woodford. They own Jack Daniels. They, they, own, they own a Forester. They own a bunch of distillers. So they all use the same shit. And they just do it different, different barrels, different locations, different, different, different. And it makes, you know, Jack Daniels and what you're smelling right now are, is the same, essentially, there's small changes, but the same distillate. So that doesn't smell like Jack Daniels, but you get that, that, that banana. And so when we have these classes, people will typically pull out a banana note and somebody will say it, usually women, women are better at smelling than men. And so they're like, how do they get, how do they infuse banana into this? And it's like, well, they don't, because I just told you the rules of bourbon, you can't put anything in it. So, you know, there's no banana in it. So if you were to go to a store and buy a banana and you were to open it up and you were to smell it and you go, this is what a banana smells like. In reality, what that is, is a chemical process where the fruit is breaking down and it's emitting a gas called C7H14O2, which is isoamyl acetate, which smells like banana. That's what bananas are. It's C7H14O2. So if you were to take this distillate, the yeast that they use, some magic happens in the barrel and it creates this isoamyl acetate, C7H14O2, and you're smelling that compound, a chemical compound. And when you smell it, it smells like a banana because it's the same compound a banana puts out when it's ripened. So you're not, there's no banana in it, but you're picking up banana because it's the same chemical compound. And that's what's awesome about whiskey is because you can get so many flavors out of it. So many, like every time you revisit it, if you had something spicy today, if you had garlic today, if you didn't eat it all today, Every time the whiskey will taste a little different. So when people are like, what's the best bottle to buy? You know, I got a thousand dollars to spend. What should I buy? I'm like, that's fucking insane. You got a budget. (laughs) You should buy. Well, let's say it's a hundred. I got, I got a hundred dollars to spend. What bottle should I buy? Like none. You should go buy this bottle, this bottle, this bottle. That that'll equal a hundred dollars. And now you have three bottles. And if you hate them, you can blend the two of them together. See what happens. Blend three of them together. See what happens. Blend 20%, 20% and 60%. 60%. See what happens. Like that's, that's what we tell everybody. Like you don't have to buy expensive whiskey to enjoy whiskey. That's what the majority of our class is based on is, is how to appreciate juice itself. And I hate saying the word juice and I hate the word um, smooth. I knew like, you hated you the word better. smooth. Yeah. I've heard that a few times. <laughs> you can times. do better. You can do better. There's no reason <laughs> to say smooth. You can, you can do better. Why is it smooth? So um, like in my professional work and my day job, I help solve a lot of problems. And so usually when we're stuck in a problem, we call it the five whys. Why? So it smells like banana or it's smooth. I hate that. Why does, why is it smooth? 
Well, it doesn't hurt my throat. Why doesn't it hurt your throat? And I'll do that. I was, why doesn't it? Why doesn't it? Why? Until we finally nail down, it's it's easy to drink. It, it's lower in proof. It coats my palate. It does this. It does that. It's like now you're giving a whiskey review as opposed yeah. to smooth. It's just it's a boring word. Nobody likes it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that, man. I like that. You um, hear that a lot. I will say, now that you said banana, I've smelled it several times since then. Mm-hmm. I cannot stop smelling banana bread. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it keeps I'm going back to know. that. Now, off of this, I have a couple questions for you. Not Shoot. off of this whiskey, but in general, on in the whiskey world. Number one, and you guys can take this in time. Number one, do you guys ever get tired of talking about whiskey? Or do you feel like you're super repetitive talking and just get burned out by it? And then number two... How do you guys feel about Infinity Barrels? Gus, which one do you want? Let me get Infinity. I guess I know which which one one he has. (laughs) (laughs) I will say say that we we love talking about whiskey and bourbon. Um, That's that's why we went to the Executive Bourbon Steward class, so that we could learn more and communicate. We like teaching people about these things. Not just because it's it's fun, but because we enjoy learning about it. Like we still consider ourselves students. Like we, one of Matt's favorite questions when he kicks off the class is, uh, "Who here, on a scale of one to ten, like who here, you know, consider themselves a, you know, where would you consider yourself on that scale?" Oh, you'll get people that are like, "Well, I'm an eight. and it's like, "Well, you then you should be teaching the class because we consider ourselves a, maybe a four or five. We still have so much to learn, and. Uh, so we, we do enjoy talking. We do get tired of answering some of the same questions over and over again. What's your favorite whiskey? What's your favorite bourbon? It's like, well, you know, Matt's favorite answer is it depends on the occasion. And it's true. Like if I'm just sitting at home on a, a hot summer day barbecuing something, maybe I'm going to pour something and mix it with some Sprite. If I'm at a nice dinner, maybe I want to have a $30 pour. Um, it just really depends on the the uh, on the, the event and what's going on that day. But <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think we get tired of it. We enjoy talking about whiskey. We enjoy talking about hunting. Uh, we're both actually planning to take the National Deer Association uh, Deer Steward Level One Club course this year. Let's go. Um, we just gotta, we just gotta pony up and, and get the registration done. Um, we enjoy learning. We enjoy being able to talk about these kind of things. And you take all this information and you get good folks around a campfire, and we can talk for hours about both whitetails or hunting in general and, and bourbon. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this. We enjoy talking about it, but we enjoy showing people even more. Uh, we have sort of a uh, a regular spot at a local big event called Southeastern Wildlife Expo. Um, the past couple of years, we've set up a tent where we've had sort of a little private corner where we share a little whiskey, but we showcase our products and sell our products. And this upcoming year, um, exactly on this sort of on this note or this topic, we're looking to instead of focusing on our products, focusing on our uh, sort of our vibe. I hate using that word; it's such a Gen Z fucking term to use, but <laughs> I know what you we mean. Wanna, we we, we want to show people what we're about instead of trying having to answer that question all the time, right? So having a spot at this event where people can hang out, you know, play some games, play some cornhole, have a have a drink, you know, maybe cooking some stuff off to the side. We can't sell it because we don't have the license for that, but you know, just hanging out and and just like we would around a campfire. And hey, oh, by the way, over there off the side, we got some products if you're interested. But that's not that's not the focus. We want people to learn about what we're all about and uh, sort of get a feel for for what makes us tick. And that that's really what it's all about. I like that. And man. I'll follow up on that. So the uh, my new favorite saying, like he's I have a lot of favorite sayings, but my new one, which I'm gonna tell you up front, I stole from someone else. So delete that out. I'm just kidding, you leave me. <laughs> but my new favorite saying is when someone says, What what is your favorite like when you go home at night, what's your favorite what's your favorite thing? And it's like after a stressful day, what do you go to? And so my my new saying, my new thing is uh I either need a lobotomy or a bottle in front of me. It's like, that's, that's, 
that's the end. It's it's I drink predominantly. I drink wild turkey. Predominantly, I think Gus drinks uh, the Jim Beam or not the Jim, the we drink. I like uh, Evan Williams White. Evan Williams, Evan Williams oh, yeah. Bottom Bomb. Okay, Evan Williams, don't have yeah. any, but it's it's my easy easy cheap yeah. go to. And before we end this, I want to go on a bottle and bond rant just just for like the listeners because I it's very important. But we'll we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, everything Gus said, hundred percent. I like uh, that. That's the answer. Um, from the perspective of us. So infinity bottles was the second question. Yes. Um, I would like to ask a question before I answer the infinity bottle question. Okay. Actually, I have two questions. So the first question is, have you done one? No, I want to. Okay. In the theory. The question is, why do you want to? I don't know. I like, I kind of want to have it as like a podcast thing, selfishly. When people come over, pour a bottle in, everybody enjoys it. You know, you get kind of that little vibe of just hanging around because we consider this a campfire. Like we're just BS and we're talking about whitetails and it's kind of that same thing, like sitting around the campfire, hanging out, sharing yep. stories and and doing that. And in that, I think it would be fun. I would want to do a full size barrel, maybe a maybe a smaller barrel, um, but just kind of, you know, the camaraderie and everybody kind of enjoying it and just, you know, kind of the novelty of it too, if that sounds kind of weird. So you're talking about an infinity barrel, not uh, an infinity an bottle. An infinity barrel, yes. Okay, okay. Was that the original question? You want to answer infinity barrel or bottle or both? You can do both. I was talking about barrel before, both. but yeah, you can do bottle. That's cool. I, I'm down for that too. I'll do both. And so Gus is the um, like uh, human resources guy. Like Usually anything I say, I run it through Gus, and then Gus is like, that's okay to go out. So <laughs> I, I, I'm the one that's usually in trouble. So I'm going to be mean about the infinity bottle. But I'm also going to say, to preface that, I'm going to say, I, it really doesn't matter. Like, you, it's your life, dude. Like, don't let me deter you from doing something you want to do. Infinity bottle, I think, is is stupid. Because, one, you're going to take a bottle that you like. Yes. And you're like, this should go in the infinity bottle. Well, or you should just finish that bottle because you like it. Because the next bottle that you put in there, you're like, it wasn't as good as the first one. So now you're taking whiskey you like and putting shitty whiskey in it. And then you're going to be like, this bottle's straight dog shit. But it was episode... <laughs> 345 so we got to have episode 300 to 400 that's our infinity bottle i'm gonna you know it's got to go in because this was our thing but if you actually were to sit down and be like i have we have a friend mutual friend that did a bottled and bond um infinity bottle so he bought all the bottled and bonds there are bought them all and he put half an or or two ounces or whatever it was an ounce or whatever he put an ounce of each in this infinity bottle because he, he wondered so in that aspect anytime you add whiskey to whiskey there's going to be a chemical reaction and it takes time for it to chill out. So if you put a cork on it, you're really going to, you're going to fuck it up is what's going to happen because it needs air to breathe. So mm -hmm. you've now corked it and it takes, and some distillers will argue about how long that chemical reaction takes, but it, you're, it's, you're making, we've already discussed the chemical reaction thing and that's what whiskey is. So if you put two things together that don't belong together, they're going to fight for a little bit and then they're going to mellow out and then they're going to be like, all right, bro, we're, this is just where we are now. It's over. I'm tired of fighting. I've run out of energy, and, and this is just it. So you cork it, and it's going to make it fiery. So then you start adding other stuff to it. So for him, for instance, he got lucky because he blended a bunch of stuff together, and it actually tasted pretty fantastic. It was really good. I still have um, – it's downstairs somewhere. I still have – we got three bottles from him. Gus and I both had one on a podcast. I still have one. Um, he got lucky. Most people don't, and I'm going to include me and most people. I've done multiple infinity bottles, like from – we're only going to do weeded. We're only going to do bourbon. We're only going to do rye. We're only going to do, we're only going to do. And it just, every time is a travesty. I've ruined good whiskey, blending it with shitty whiskey. The barrel thing is different. So 
if you were to do a barrel, same concept, you need to let it breathe, but there's enough air in the barrel to let it do its thing. Um, so we have a friend, Medicinal Whiskey Charity. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. I have not. But they, so they did, so Jim Beam creates the, um, they do a, every, they do a release like three, uh, forgive me on not knowing if it's three or four, but they do a release a few times a year where they, it's uh, Booker's. So it's a batch. So like that, like one of my favorite ones they ever did was the Bardstown batch. It was fantastic. It was, it's like, if I were to say, this is what bourbon should taste like, it was the Booker's Bardstown batch. I've had, I got three bottles that I've found and paid full retail for. Uh, two of them are gone. I got one that I'm saving for literally when I get terminal cancer. And I'm like, that's, this is the bottle. <laughs> not to, not to bring it down, but like, this is the last thing I'm going to drink is this, is this bottle. It's so good. So they, they do these releases. So anyway, they've never done a single barrel, which means it's one single barrel, which is uh, usually around, if, it, if there's not a huge evaporation rate, we're looking at 200 to 250 bottles. If it's a short barrel, it could be half that, but the safe bet is around 200. So he had, I think, kidney cancer. He went to um, Medical University, or UK in Kentucky and got uh, the cancer fixed or I don't, I don't know the whole story. But anyway, so he was like in an appreciation for the staff at UK. I'm going to work through the medicinal whiskey charity. We're going to, I'm going to do a, the first ever single barrel. So they did the single barrel. And it's and it's fantastic. So anyway, that's the that's that's the pull they have in the community. They can get a major distiller to to release something they've never released before. They had to submit it to the TTB. The entire internet exploded, and they were like, "Oh my god, it's the first time they've ever done a single barrel." It's a huge deal. <laughs> so then they also bought like I don't know five cases of this super aged Master's Keep. I, I can't remember the year. I mean, like, all, like I wasn't prepared to the story. I would have looked it up beforehand, but it's like either like 12 <laughs> okay. year, 15 year, master's keep, whatever. So they had bought several cases of it, which those bottles are not cheap. Like I just got an email today from, you know, one of the multiple places that sell whiskey and they had a master's keep. It was like 200 bucks. So that, like, that's kind of the entry point, 180 to 300, somewhere in there. That's what they go for. So they had cases of it. They took that along with what's called Dusty's, which is old wild turkey. In this instance, it's wild turkey. So old. So like before the 2000, like 90s. So they have 90s wild turkey that they have found non-GMO corn, old oak. So like the oak today, they cut oak trees down way too young. The oak trees back in the day, they were old as shit because nobody was really buying bourbon. And so the the oak had a chance to get really old. And you can taste the It's way different. And when you come on our podcast, I'm going to send you a sample of Dusty Turkey and regular turkey and you can they're 101 same thing i'm gonna let you tell me they're not different anyway and then russell's reserve store pick so russell's reserve so jimmy russell eddie russell they created this russell's reserve thing and it's like anything at wild turkey that they think is like creme de la creme they pull it to the side and they don't sell it as wild turkey they sell it through russell's reserve their single barrel program specifically so they blended all this stuff together in a regular size whiskey barrel and they aged it for one year in South Carolina in a hay barn, and they called it Turkey Vet. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Really? It's so I'm actually, well, I'll send you, I don't have much left, so you may have to like split an ounce, but I'll send you an ounce of it. We can do that. <laughs> we can do that. How many times can you say that? I'm going to send you an ounce of bourbon. <laughs> I'm going to send you an ounce of the Turkey Vet. There's not a lot of people that have ever tasted that. The, the cost of entry for that, the guys that, invested in that barrel it was around 250 per bottle cost of entry and most of them invested thousands damn so i got lucky to buy one at 250 a bottle 
um, through friends because they didn't sell it. It was just like an internal club thing. I got lucky to buy one and I bought another smaller one that I'm never going to open. Well, that might be like the the cancer bottle that I, I'm going to open that one too. But anyway, I'll send you a little bit of that. So my answer on the infinity barrel is think about it hard. Okay. Don't just throw shit in there. You throw shit in there, shit in, shit out. So if it doesn't taste good, do not put it in there. And that's going to be enough. hard for you because I would imagine as many hunt clubs as I've been to and as many hunters as I've drank with, most of them show up with straight dog shit. <laughs> so you got to be careful. You put good stuff in there, you're going to so, get good stuff out. So we can't get rid of that, that Jefferson's makes sense. Reserve. Then, uh, no, we can't put that in there. Damn I, sure. I can say I'm going to have to karate chop a buddy to not put a bottle of Old Crow in there. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do not let anybody put a scotch in there. <laughs> oh no, a scotch oh, will ruin scotch. it. The whole it thing will, will taste like scotch. It, the whole it will overpower the entire, especially unless, if it's a peated scotch. Yeah, unless you like scotch. Nope. You know, we're not trying to say <clears throat> nope. Mm-mm. If you want a bourbon and you throw a scotch in there, the entire thing is going to taste like scotch. We, yeah, we will learn that ourselves. We yeah. we've done a lot of them. I I honestly, my opinion is, don't waste your time. But if you if if it's like you have a story behind it, like for a podcast, it makes sense. For a regular guy that just likes whiskey, doesn't make any sense. It's to me, it's stupid. A well, bad bottle of whiskey, give it to somebody. Don't dump it out. Just give it to somebody. I, I do it, and I have friends that will happily take. It. I tell them like I don't like the shit, and uh, here's you know ten bottle. Like we work with a lot of chefs, and they they want to pair crazy things, and I'm like this bottle tastes like straight ass. But if you can find a way to pair it with something, like you know, go for it. And so it's like I'd rather give it to them than throw it away. So uh, we're we're huge advocates of that. And the other thing too is like the 10, and after this, I'll, I'll shut up so we can get back to like the community conversation, but the 10 year thing, everybody, you get a 10 year bourbon and people go, or do you want to tell a story, Gus? I've talked, oh, I feel like I've talked a lot. No, by all <laughs> means. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you're going with it. So I don't oh, okay. take over. The 10 year, the 10 year thing. So like Eagle Rare, 10 year. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So you buy a ball of Eagle Rare for $35. It's going to cost you more than that today, but it used to be like 20 to 30 bucks. Now it's, it was like 35 for a while. Anyway. So you buy the ball, Eagle Rare, 10 year. So you drink it and you go, that's great whiskey, fucking whatever. And that's over. You're done. You never think about the 10 year thing. And the 10 year thing always struck a chord with me because if I, if I was a master distiller and my dad was a master distiller, his dad was a master distiller and they brought me in, they're like, son, today you're going to make your first, first, first vat of whiskey, which is going to fill several barrels. So we sit down and we were like, this is the mash bill we want to go with. This is what we want to do. And so we distill it and we take this clear distillate and we put it inside of a brand new chart barrel and we put a bung hole on it and stamp it and, and whatever. We roll it into a Rick house. 10 years later, I go and taste it and I go, fuck me. I should have done 53% corn instead of 51 or whatever. You know, you change it a little bit and then you do it again. Grant, you're going to taste it along the way. This is a, this is a mute point of the story but let's just say you're making one barrel forever so 10 years later i taste it and i don't like it i'm going to change a little bit so i changed a little bit we do it again now i'm so i was 18 then i'm 28 so now i'm 38 by the time that second barrel's done and i go in there and i taste it and i go you know this is good but if i had done this or this so let's just let's just go ahead and do this or this at 38 years old now you're 48 do you think you'll still be working there at 58 probably not you Great think you'll question. be there at 68 78 88 so a 10-year bourbon, like, I just wish people appreciated it a little bit more. Same thing with a five-year, four-year, whatever. It, it's years. And think of all the people that moved it, touched it, the farmers that grew the corn 10 years ago, all this stuff. So just when you drink it, when you drink an aged bourbon, something that's 10 years or older, just just 
throw that in your head a little bit. Just yeah. think about it. Just think about it a little bit. Like, because, even though you may not like it, just appreciate the fact that this guy, you're only going to get three or four chances at that in your lifetime. And so for a consumer to drink and go, gross, I think it's fucked up. <laughs> well, and and to, 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 to drive the point a little bit more, Matt's, Matt's example started with an 18-year-old, you know, joining his dad and grandpa. But most, most master distillers don't get themselves in that position probably 100%. until they're well into their 30s. Right, twenties uh, if they're lucky, maybe even later. So for a master distiller, for most cases, starting in their thirties or forties, after years of apprenticeship and learning, they they spend that time working with some distillate, figuring it out, getting what they want, put it into a barrel. That ten year, twelve year, depending on whatever it is, whiskey that you're drinking, may be the only batch that that distiller ever got to age that That's long. Crazy. And and the next one that they've done, because they've they for sure it's their job. They've done other ones. They they may not be working there. They may not even be alive when that thing comes to to maturation. And so True. there's times where you may be drinking a whiskey where the distiller never even got a chance to taste the final product. Um, so that's that's one of our biggest things is when you like like Matt said, when you're drinking these older these older bourbons, even if you don't necessarily like it, having a little bit of appreciation for what's gone into that whiskey, into that bourbon, uh, and the process. And Matt and I say have said it on our podcast. We've said it before. We love the process. Everything that happens leading up to it, going into a, into the bottle, is probably our favorite thing. How yeah. the you know the cooperage and how the barrels are made, the process of aging and things that go on in a rickhouse and and the, the distillation process. That's our favorite. Um, even down to how distillers are working with specific farmers to grow specific heirloom corn and grains to get very specific uh flavor profiles uh it's it's all super fascinating and and really nerdy but it's 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 the it's the coolest part to us because i think in a lot of ways it correlates to kind of the nerdy side of hunting and studying deer and what are they eating what time of year what are they like you know what are they breaking up in why you know why are they behaving this way it's a it all kind of correlates and it's uh you know it's just it makes you kind of a lifetime student for in, in both aspects. We just believe that white tail hunters will can appreciate how much work goes into a bottle of whiskey because they've never been told. We we all grew up hunting and our dads or our grandpas told us all the stuff about hunting. You learn to appreciate it. But like the whiskey thing is just, well, I just found this on the shelf and we're going to pop it and drink it. And you don't really think much about it. And, and to, and to harp and this is the end. And then we'll go back to like question. I don't know how long you guys want to go. I'm good forever, but the, <laughs> go uh, forever. we're good, man. We're Let's good. Do an infinity okay. podcast. Right. Is that what we're doing here? Yeah. <laughs> we can do an infinity podcast. I like, it. But like we both own the Parker's heritage. It's a, it's an orange cask, which it didn't rate very well. It didn't rank very high. It doesn't sell for a lot of money, but it was Parker beams last barrel that he ever made. It was the last one he ever made. And so Gus and I both own it and I don't know that we'll ever open it, but it's, it's like, that's the, that's kind of like the, you, you got to think about that. Like it's, if you were to get, if you were to inherit like a 1968 Fred bear recurve from your grandpa, like most people will look at that and be like that piece of shit. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Um, that piece of shit wood bow, like that bottle, it means nothing. You've never seen it before. You don't care. But Parker Bean was a, was a G dude. Like he was the man. And that's the last batch he ever made. They still make Parker's Heritage, and that is the last one he ever made. He'll never make another one. He's done. That's crazy. I don't even know that he's alive. He, I, don't, I think he is no, alive. I know. I think he passed away. That's that's what oh, he did pass away. Special. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but like he he was Parker Beam. You know, Jim Beam, Parker yeah. Beam. He was part of the Beam family. And there's a lot of beams, but that doesn't really mean a ton. But they made it. They made a whole bottle after him. And um, 
a lot of these names in the industry come from from things like that. Like there was like Larceny Bourbon, for instance. Have you yeah. heard of Larceny? Oh yeah. So that name came from the guy that was uh, managing the warehouse. He was a drunk. He used to steal whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> He'd come in there and be like, "This one tastes fucking good," and he would he would steal it. And so they instead of pressing charges, they were like, "Clearly, this guy knows what he's talking about." He's this this barrel. He keeps fucking siphoning out of it. So why don't we release that barrel as something special? And that, and that's where the name came from. Like they, it's it was it was larceny. It was grand theft. He was stealing. <laughs> that's awesome. But he wasn't stealing dog shit. He was stealing good stuff. And yeah. and so they, you know, that was where the name came. There's a lot of marketing in the bourbon and whiskey industry. A lot of them are lies. Like you'll hear. I'm gonna fact check myself here. You, you'll hear things about. Friends of the Joe Rogan podcast, like he has, uh, they gave him a Buffalo Trace barrel. Yeah, and so if you listen to his podcast, he says, you know, it's the oldest operating whatever uh, distillery. They've they've been making whiskey since whenever. Um, so I'm gonna Buffalo Trace. Now, am uh, I wrong uh, in this? But Buffalo Trace has some uh, relation to Pappy's. Is that correct? So it's all the same distillery. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I picked up a so, bourbon book and read it for about four minutes, and that's what I got. So, so just reading straight from their website and the namesake of bourbon brand Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon was, was introduced in August of 1999. So what happens is they bought a distillery that was old that would probably that did exist before prohibition and the distillery did exist during prohibition for medicinal existed, purposes. Right. Which <laughs> is a actually fascinating point that I, I can get into if you want to. But they got it. They, they kept going and then and then they bought the brand in 1999. So Buffalo Trace Distillery, they, they had bought this distillery. They had changed hands multiple times and it did exist before Prohibition. So they can say that it's one of the oldest operating distilleries. But the brand name Buffalo Trace is not one of the oldest operating distilleries. It's just the actual location or the company or whatever you want to call it. It's one of the oldest operating um, but the medicinal thing is actually very fascinating because so alcohol, as you know, if you don't eat, like if you, if you have like a cheeseburger and half a pizza and then you start drinking, you can drink all night. Yeah. If you don't eat all day and then you start drinking, what happens? You're feeling froggy. It's not a you good, get, you get, good result. Yeah. <laughs> you get fucked up. Yeah. And that's because alcohol goes straight to your blood system. So the medicinal thing wasn't from the bourbon. What they would do is they would take medicinal things like let's and and without pissing people off let's just go to like pick a flower that has a medicinal property and then a root that has a medicinal property and a grain that has a medicinal property we'll blend it all together and mortar and pestle it oh mortar and pestle it and then (laughs) you take that mortar and pestle shit and then you add it to alcohol it doesn't matter what it is just i mean whiskey was how they kind of loopholed it um, but you add it to that because it, it like neutral grain spirits work best, but you know, whiskey is fine. So you add it to it and now that is infused with the alcohol. So when you drink the alcohol with that stuff in it, you're now introducing that root, that grain, that whatever you're introducing it into your body through the bloodstream because of the alcohol. So, so the whiskey was never medicinal. It was, it was the mixing of, but they got around it saying we can sell whiskey and then you take your homegrown. This is before aspirin and all that shit existed. So you can take you can take whiskey and mix it with your homegrown medicinal herbs and spices. Put it in your whiskey and drink it, and it would introduce it straight to your bloodstream. That was that was the medicinal, and it is a real thing. It's not yeah. it's not a everybody's everybody was scoffed at it like well whiskey's not medicinal. It actually was for a long time. <laughs> so I can start mixing ginseng get- in with my my whiskey. 
There you go. And now you're just, and then you're just taking medicine. You're not drinking. Yeah. That's why if I ever get hurt and I get, if I get, and I get prescribed Percocet, I always have it with a whiskey. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible advice. That's horrible advice. advice. (laughs) Do not do that. (laughs) You did not hear that here. Dude. (laughs) No, that's that's a great joke though. It is. It is. I have, dude, honestly, as short as this has been, I have learned an immense amount yeah. and I, I i can't wait to learn more this has been like absolutely bonkers for me i actually it was pretty deep getting into the fact of like thinking about the 10 year and stuff like that yeah i'm actually I'm a little bit upset i didn't grab the knob creek 10 year now because i had it in my hand i put it down for the woodford double double oaked it would have made way more of a better story if i would have grabbed that damn knob creek i would agree no, because we, we would have only had one story then so now we That's got true. two stories we had good the, point there we go we just gotta yeah. try that bottle now yeah Go on. There's no, there's no wrong decision when it comes mm-hmm. to whiskey. Everything is anything you taste or smell. Just say it. It's it's. There's no. Everybody's palate is different. You ate something different. You know, we like we all eat something different during the day, and then we get together and drink. And it's yeah. What I can recommend is if you go to a whiskey tasting, you got to be careful who it is. Like, is it a distillery that's trying to sell you a product? Because that's typically what it's going to be. So you go to a whiskey. If it's free, they're trying to sell you something. And <laughs> And it's science. Like, I know that if I give you this bourbon first and this bourbon second, this bourbon third, I know you're going to like the third one better. Mm-hmm. It's just science. The yeah. first one you're not going to like. It's just the way it is. It's like, so a lot of a lot of places will start off with raw distillate or like their younger product or they'll start with a gin or something like that. What they're trying to do is burn your palate out. So when you finally get to their bourbon, you're like, this is fucking delicious. When in reality, if you had started with the bourbon, you would have been like, this is trash. And you wouldn't <laughs> buy it. Did yeah, that makes total sense. sense. Yeah, you guys ever been to Gatlinburg? A hundred percent. Yeah, the the same. It's thing the Myrtle Beach of the mountains. Bro. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like it hundred percent is. Um, but it's funny because you do their little testing, and that's what they do. They come out with like yeah. their straight shit, hundred and thirty proof or whatever yeah. it is, right off the bat, and just destroy. Your because you're in the mountains. mountains. Yeah, they yep. they like, just you absolutely drink fuck some mountain you up. lightning. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then they give you a bunch of these. 30, 40 proof, you know, these taste amazing. And you end up buying two or three bottles guaranteed. And w- we did. And they were delicious. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But that, that that's actually very valid. Very valid. So our classes are all done blind. Because I don't want, because it, it, like your preconceived notion of what I'm showing you is going to fuck the class up. So if, if we walk in there and I have three bottles sitting out there and somebody walks in and goes, ugh, that bottle, my grandpa drank that shit. That's gut wash. Now everybody in the room is going to hate that bottle. So we just we don't we do everything blind. The our our entry level class is is actually it's not I mean it's we don't we don't do anything cheap. Everything we do is expensive because it's it's nice. It's good quality. And so our classes are not cheap. Um but your the benefit out of that is going to be higher. So whenever we bring stuff in there like we will use cheaper whiskey because the whole point of the class is to show you there's cheap shit out there that is delicious. I mean so good. And if and anybody watches some of our old stuff, I mean, there's things that we used to use that we can't use anymore because it's not the same. They've changed it, whatever. But we'll bring cheap stuff in there, and we get cussed out. I mean, we we did a class at a um, very nice apartment community, and at the final at the final tasting, we did three. I think we did four bottles that night. Four. Everybody agreed on one pour. This is the best thing out there. This is this is the like this is the creme de la creme, and it like. When you're teaching the class, you have to like keep your cool. But I was blown the fuck away. I was like, for real? That's what everybody <laughs> agrees on. But like, you don't know. 
But when I pulled it out, it was JW Dant, which for a 1.75 liter plastic bottle, it's 20 bucks. Oh, damn. And I put that up against $50, $60 bottles of bourbon. And so when I pulled it out and I was like, this is what you all agreed on was the best. And then one guy was like, are you serious? We pay for this class. You brought a plastic bottle to this class. <laughs> he didn't get the point. He didn't understand yeah. that. Like, it doesn't matter what it comes in. Like, why do you, why are you upset? There's, you said you liked it. Mm-hmm. And we put that against old Forrester, $50, $60 old Forrester bottles. We put it against bottled and bond stuff. And, and that was, um, that was the point I was saying earlier about the bottle and bond thing. Like, do you want to do this, Gus? The bottom bond? I feel like I'm talking. What, do you, what about it? Just what it is? Would you want me to do what it is and then you explain why people should buy it? Sure. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> so bottle and bond. So bottle and bond, if you look at a bottle, it'll have on the label, it'll say bottled and bond somehow. Some, 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 most of them are white, some are gold, but it'll say bottled in bond and they will be on the bottom shelf because everyone thinks they're dog shit. But let me tell you this. So in, I don't know, like prohibition time, people were, so we'll go before prohibition. So people were buying barrels. You couldn't buy bottles by the, or you couldn't buy whiskey by the bottle. You had to buy it by the barrel. So you would buy a bottle, a barrel of whiskey at a, at a store and you would go in, you'd bring your, your bottles or whatever, get them filled up there. Or you would just drink at the, at, at the place. It was typically um, uh, where you get pharmacies. So you would go in there and they would, you would just drink it. So out of the barrel, these guys that owned the establishment that had these barrels, they would they would start to pour out whiskey out of the barrel. And over time, you know, the barrel would get to half or or three quarters. They'd be like, we got to, like, I don't want to buy another one. How can we make this last? So they add a little bit of water to it. Hmm. We'll put a little bit of water. It's, it's, at, it's, at, it's at one quarter left. We'll add some water to it. So add some water to it, and they start serving it to customers. And and again, this is 1800. And um, from 1800s to like the 1900s. Anyway, so people, people would... We get it, and they'd be like, "This is watered down. This is bullshit." Like, I'm not getting drunk. Usually, six shots. I'm I'm feeling something, brother. And I've had like ten, and I'm sober. Like, this is some bullshit whiskey. And so it's pissing them off. And they'd be like, "This doesn't taste right. It doesn't burn my throat. It doesn't do this." So in order to burn the throat, they throw some turpentine in it. Oh God, because turpentine is going to burn your throat, right? And so now you got the burn. It's like this should be. You know, hundred proof whiskey, but it burns my throat like I'm just I must be on it today. I'm I must ate too much. I'm not drunk. Well, then they start looking at the color. I'm like, this is kind of light in color. So they would take spittoons, dip spit. This is all documented oh. true facts. I'm oh, not God. making this up. They would oh. dump spittoons in there. It would give you that caramel flavor, that coloring, and it would it'd bring the color back. And so mm-hmm. old Forrester was the first company to look at it and be like, I see what you fuckers are doing. So they put it out and they said, Listen. All these places you're buying from the barrel, what they're doing is watering it down. They're putting things in it you shouldn't drink. So we're going to start selling it by the bottle. Instead of instead of going in there and filling up your own containers, you're going to just have to buy a bottle from us. And it's going to cost a little bit more. But we guarantee our product is 100% whiskey. And so Old Forester started that a long time ago. Well, it kept going. And the government got upset about it, as the government does. And they decided that they were going to regulate it. This is the first time the government ever regulated anything. This is before the FDA. They weren't regulating food. They weren't regulating medicine. They weren't regulating anything. They regulated whiskey. And so what they said is, we're going to do this thing called bottled in bond. So it's a bonded warehouse owned by the government. And we're going to oversee that the government receive these barrels and we're going to bottle them and we're going to bond them and promise you that they are four years in a bonded warehouse. They're a hundred proof they were distilled during one distillation season. So there's typically two a year, one in the spring, one in the fall. 
and we're going to make sure it's all the same distillate from the spring, all the same distillate from the fall. No one can touch it. No one can do anything. There's a bunch of rules with it. So that's the way they did it. And when that happened, the government said, we're going to put a label on the front of it and call it bottled and bond. So that still happens today. 2023, there are still government bonded warehouses, which is not as cool as it sounds. Most distilleries have bonded warehouses, but they have all this stuff. So if you go into a liquor store and you look at the bottom shelf, you'll see bottled and bond. On the bottom. They're all 100 proof. They're all four years. They're all delicious. All of them. Can you think of a single one, Gus, that's bottled and bond that isn't good? Yeah. Huh. No, they're all they're all pretty solid, and that's that's you know I'll I'll that's a good segue into what he wanted me to cover, which is you know because they come in, they're required to come in at at fifty fifty uh, percent ABV or hundred proof, and yeah, they have to be aged at a minimum of four years. Um, for someone who's looking to get into bourbon or start a collection or just looking to uh, maybe buy a gift, anything that you can find that is a bottled and bond product is a fantastic purchase for any of those reasons because you're getting guaranteed quality. You're getting uh, you're getting a a an age statement that is not so young that it's going to be uh, you know too uh, too harsh to drink, um, but not aged so long that maybe you have too many, too much tannin, too much oak imparted on the flavor. It's going to be right down the middle. Um, and in terms of the <clears throat> the proof or the alcohol by volume, at 100 proof, it's kind of right down the middle. And Matt will tell you, um, if, if someone were to ask him, what's my favorite like proof? I like to stick between 90 and 110. That uh, right, 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 100 proof, it's just my palate. Um, I pick up the most flavor, the most notes um, in, in, in that area. And so for someone who's, like I said, is new, or, or is looking to grow a collection, anything that has a bottled and bond product is a great way to, great place to go to. It's a great way to start. Um, and because you all, you know that you are always getting a quality product because that's the reason it was, it was started. The whole bottled and bond product or, or the whole bottled and bond, a bond process uh, requirement was started to ensure that the distilleries were creating a quality product that was backed by government oversight. Maybe the back only when, time government, back when maybe, the government meant something. Maybe the only time government oversight has been has been good, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, so that's that's why we recommend it. It's one of the things we recommend. You know, Matt talked earlier about it. If you have a hundred or two hundred dollars to what bottle should I buy? Well, you shouldn't buy one bottle. How about four, three or four or five bottles? And uh, if you can find some bottle to bond to, to add to that to that selection, it's it's uh, it's, a, it's a good choice. Perfect. So that's a great segue to the question that's been kind of looming in the back of my mind. And you've kind of answered it, but I I literally just went through this yesterday. I'm standing at the liquor store and I'm looking at the shelf and there's 80 different bottles of different bourbon. And I'm looking at sure. it going, holy fuck, where do I start? You know, and I know very little. So I'm like, okay, well, I've had Woodford before. I like Woodford. That looks good. Okay, Knob Creek, Fat Knob Creek. That's good too. But there's all these other ones, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm kind of looking at proof. I'm looking at 90 proof. There's 80 proof, 100 proof, and beyond. And I'm like, I have no idea where to start. So I got lucky. Obviously, I was gonna buy. I was gonna buy a bottle that was the dead guy. I don't know if you've ever had that bottle or not. I think that's what it was called. It had a little Pass. dude. It had a little dude on top. Pass. Okay, perfect. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. I didn't. But if I'm st- if I'm standing in front of that shelf and I'm looking at all these bourbons, like you said, what should I be kind of like? Is, is am, if I'm looking for a variety, say I want four or five bottles, should I buy, be buying different proofs? Should I be buying? You know, what am I looking for just to kind of build something to taste different things? So for the whitetail hunter, that is a very easy explanation. Okay. So if you walk to a hunting shop 
and you're looking at a wall full of broadheads, what are you looking for? Yeah, you could break it down mechanical fixed. You could continue to kind of so, break it down. So, right? so you guys do a lot of mechanical. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at, right, I'm not wrong. So you if correct. you look at mechanical, what do you, if you got a wall from 30 feet wide of mechanical broadheads, what are you looking at? Well, for us, it's cut on contact. I know, I, Right, you I know, know you're sponsored. You, I know you're sponsored. We're sponsored as well. <laughs> no, We're sponsored with non-mechanical. You're sponsored with mechanical. That's not a conversation we need to have. But <laughs> if you're looking, if you're not sponsored, if you're just telling somebody, hey, listen, even though we're sponsored by it, but let's leave that out of it. Yeah. If you're looking at a wall full of mechanical broadheads, what do you what are you looking at? See now, typically, I guess, and this is a bad conversation for me because I've always grown up with one broadhead that my dad and everybody shot, and they already tested and proven it, and then I switched to another broadhead, but. If I was looking at it, I would say that the first thing I'm looking at is inch of cut. You know, what is the inch of cut on that mechanical broad? Okay. Um, Then am I looking at it? Is it rear deploying, front deploying? Well, what's good for you on inch of cut? What are you looking at for inch of cut? Um, So mechanical inch of cut, I would say, and this is a tricky conversation because everyone markets their inch of cut a little differently. Right, right. But like... For sake of conversation, quickly. Inch, what are you looking at? inch, inch and a quarter, cut? inch and a quarter, inch and a half, probably somewhere in that area. Um, anywhere because from your dad inch, taught inch you that or because you have real life experience? No, I'm going from real life experience at this perfect. point. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't Next. want the big two inch plus cuts. It's just not something I want. I'm not interested in. For sure. So next next thing you look at? Um, From there, so inch of cut and then rear deploying or front deploying. So is it opening up? like this is it opening up like this right front which do you prefer rear or front um i would say now i would say a rear deploying rather than a front deploying um front deploying is what i used to shoot and um not that i had bad results but i felt like the when you really break it down a front deploying it opens up you're creating a lot of drag and you're losing a lot of momentum in your in your uh arrow and in your broadhead okay so what's next material yeah, <clears throat> I would quality. say definitely quality of material. Not necessarily. But how saying do you that. tell? Do you do you read the label, or you just you can tell if it's good material or not? A little bit of both, really. I mean, you can tell by reading it. Is it is it good steel? Is it not good steel? Is it? I mean, does it look chintzy? I mean, yeah. Does it have a logical design to it? When yes. I'm looking at my broadhead, I want to know is that a logical design? That's something that will kill an animal. Hundred percent. So, do you look at the release mechanism of it? Like, is it rubber band? Is it plastic? Is it like, how is it going to open up? How is it going to, how do I know this broadhead is not going to fail me when it hits flesh? Like, do you look at that? Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm going to call that finish. I've been writing down notes so I can <laughs> go back and forth. That was tough. All right. So, <laughs> so that's, so it sounded like he was grilling you, but he has, he has a really good point to make. Yeah. My, my point is, so inch of cut. So, I'm going to start. So, your, your first point was inch of cut. That's the most important thing to you because it's the first thing you brought up, right? Mm hmm. Correct. Okay. So for me, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with, unfortunately, well, let, let me ask you one more follow-up question on that. So does brand name play anything on, on bond? I know that you're sponsored, but outside of like, pretend you're not. Yeah. Does, it does. brand name? It 100%. Does. Yeah. I'm okay. going to, I'm going to avoid anything with, uh, let starts with the letter R and four letters. <laughs> <laughs> so use your I'm imagination. Take inch of cut and call inch of cut brand name. That's okay. what I'm going to do. So, okay. so brand name for me, like I am aware of the brands. I know all the brands, which that takes time, which just is like buying broadheads that takes time. Like I've never heard of this brand before. Is that mm-hmm. going to be good? Probably not. If you never heard of them, if it's fucking fucking archery, like I'm not going to buy that over VPI or uh, VIP. I'm not going to buy over VIP, right? I know VIP. I'm going to buy VIP. Do you like that? 
Do you like that plug? I, I do like that plug. Honest <laughs> to God, I'm very <laughs> impressed. Yeah. I yeah. am too. I'm, I'm half erect. Just keep going. <laughs> Good. So I'm going to take inch of cut on that. I'm going to I'm gonna do brand name. So for us, like I know the brand name. So I can look at it and be like, okay, I know that this distillery is owned by this distillery. But here's the trade secret is that on a bottle, it's mandated by law. You have to say where it was distilled and where it was bottled. So if you turn a bottle over on the back, It'll say distilled in. Uh. So if it says distilled in Indiana, yeah, go ahead. What's the Weller say? Distilled where? Kentucky. What's distilled the, aged and bottled Woodford by say? Buffalo Trace Distillery, Frankfort, Kentucky. Distilled aged and bottled by so Woodford distilled aged and bottled by old by Brown Farmer or Old Forest. Who, what does it say? By Buffalo Trace. Oh well, no, the double oak. The oh, double double oak. oh, I'm so sorry. Say, this says produced by the Woodford Reserve Distillery, Versailles, Kentucky, USA. Right. Right. So Woodford is owned by um, Brown Farmer. So so what basically what they've done is they've said, like, we own you, but I want you to make your own shit. So Woodford deserve makes their own shit and they're allowed to say they made it. So locally, we have a distiller. I'm not going to say the name because I'm going to share some shit they don't want anybody to know. We locally have a distiller where they buy their distillate from Buffalo Trace. Ooh. So they buy the distillate from Buffalo Trace. And when it gets to South Carolina, they run it through a still again. Why? So they can say they made it. In South Carolina, right. Yeah. So on the back of the bottle, it'll say distilled in South Carolina. Even though it was distilled and made in Kentucky at Buffalo Trace, <laughs> they can now bring it here. Yeah. I just said everything that you're not – all the quiet parts out loud. So now they can distill it again and say we made it in South Carolina. So people will see that and be like, this is a South Carolina product. It's made and it's made, bottled, all that shit in South Carolina. And they're like, this is fucking amazing. It tastes just like Buffalo Trace. Oh, crazy. So I'm going to call it inch of cut. I'm going to call that with this, who, who the maker is. So I would assume most companies don't make multiple versions of inch of cut. At least in my experience, they don't. Like most of them will make certain broadheads or mechanicals, whatever. So for us, I will go to it. I will go to a liquor store and I will look around and I'll see this company, that company, this company, and I know who owns those companies. And then I'll see something like. Uh, I'm just looking at my computer here. MSI Geoforce RTX. So I see a Geoforce RTX bourbon. Never heard of that. I don't know who the fuck that is. So am I going to buy that bottle? Probably not. So you, then you said front or rear deploying. I'm going to equate. I'm gonna, hold on. Let me read the other two. So Oh, yeah. Front or rear deploying. So I'm going to equate that to what kind of burp. I'm going I'm to go with whiskey here. So what kind of whiskey is it? Is it rye whiskey? Is it scotch whiskey? Is it bourbon whiskey? Right. So we have preferences. You want front deploying or you want rear deploying? I want scotch or I want bourbon or I want whiskey. Those are my those are my my things. So then the third point, I can't read my own handwriting, but I think it says natural reading versus Jesus Christ. What was your third point? I think that's when you took over. What did you say? I said material. Material? Yeah. Material. That's material. the definition. Yeah. Material. So uh and that was reading versus visual. So now I know what I said. So material, same thing. So when I see a barrel, when I see a bottle and I go, I know this distillery. Okay. Is this weeded bourbon? Is this corn bourbon? Is this rye? Is this whiskey? Is this scotch? Whatever. That was our uh, front or rear deploying. So now material, I'm going to, I'm going to dive deep, right? Because if it's a rye, is it 51% rye? Is it 90% rye? If it's a bourbon. Is it 51% corn? Is it 80% corn? hundred percent corn bourbon. You ever had it? Rough. rough. I don't think I, I don't have. think I have. Rough shit. That's rough shit. I mean, a lot of people love it. There's some good 100%. I'm not talking shit about anything. But for me, when I go to a liquor store and I look at the shelf, 
that's I'm interested. I want to know. And sometimes you got to Google that stuff. Usually the mash bill is not going to be on the bottle. So then your last thing, what uh, I equated to finish, which I think you said also. Yep. Um, so what does that mean, finish for broadheads? So basically, do they look like they're logically able to kill an animal, right? Right. So for a bourbon, same thing. Whiskey, same thing. You look at it, does that look like a good bottle? Does that look good? So there's a little bit of experience. You have to know kind of what you're doing. So you can't just walk into a bow hunting shop and pick out the best broadhead. You just fucking can't. You no. need to know a little bit. So those are the points you brought up. Inch of cut was important. Front or rear deploying, important. For me, you know, it's the same thing. You can't just walk into a liquor store and be like, I know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't. It just takes time. You got to learn. You got to figure it out. Right, Gus? I mean, you you know that, like, I, I have a lot. I'm the, Gus is the director of Whitetails. He's, like, the hunting guy. I, I do all the whiskey stuff, but I've, like, over the past, four or five years or three years as a company, but four or five years that we've been doing podcasting and drinking together. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like I've, I, what, have, what can you add to this to, uh, to explain it better? Well, I think you hit the, the, the kind of the nail on the head and I'll, I'll add on to the last part in terms of the, um, the with the finish, right. It's, it, you can look at a bottle, but you can also look at the color, right. You can sometimes a bottle and with the age statement and what they say on the bottle could be a little misleading. You can look at the color of a whiskey and start to and do a little bit of uh, you can discern whether or not it's it's how old it is, how young it is. Uh, but it really just comes down to experience. You know, the same yeah. way you 100%. over time, over time, you just learn from experience when you walk into a uh, to, to to a bow shop and you're looking at whether it's whether it's broadheads, whether it's new apparel strings yeah. quivers it could be saddles it, it could be anything yeah yeah yep yeah you just from experience you just you just kind of start to learn and pick up on well you know that stitching doesn't look doesn't look like it's going to hold up to my yeah. ass you know I'm, i don't I'm, trust that <laughs> in a tree stand no yeah you know <laughs> like, like that i don't trust that whiskey in my gut <laughs> so it's the same thing comes down to whiskey you know you just learn from experience uh you know starting with sticking to brand names and names you know um and the quality that they offer the uh the dependability and the consistency they offer in their product. It's it's the same as it's the same as other products like like you find in the hunting world. It's just like if you were to go to buy broadheads, you're like, I've never heard of this company. Then you go buy whiskey and you're like, I have never heard of this company. Yeah. Now the novice has never heard of any of it. I've right. like I've never heard of this company, never heard of that. Like like pick a different brand from VPI. Like I've never heard of whatever. Like you, you just look at it and you're like, I I've never heard of that company. That doesn't mean it's a bad company. Because you don't have enough experience to look at it and say, that's an off brand. It just takes time. It just, it's, it takes time. And yeah. I recommend sticking with brand names. So if things like Old Forester, things like Jack Daniels, Jack Daniels, so regular Jack Daniels, you like it or you love it. You like it or you hate it. It's, it is what it is. But Jack Daniels makes some crazy stuff. The Jack Daniels single barrels are insane. If you like that banana, the banana note, Find the Jack Daniels single barrels that are in a square-shaped bottle. Yeah. The higher the proof, the better. If you can get near 130, that's a fantastic Damn. bottle. And it's, and it's you know, Jack Daniels. Brown Foreman, Old Forester, Wolf of Reserve. If you go into Wild Turkey, Russell's Reserve, Buffalo Trace, Eagle Rare. I mean, the Weller, the Pappy. Like, we'll never hear us sit and say, you need to buy Pappy Van Winkle. You need mm -hmm. to buy Bland. You never – I'll tell you this. Out of the entire – the entire Buffalo Trace lineup, the only thing, if I were to see it in a store, which I'm a little different from everybody else, if I go to a store and the only stores I go to are people I know now because I support local, I support guys that support us, 
you know, followers, whiskey, wine, tails, like all the things. If I go in there and they have, they're like, listen, bro, you've spent this much money. I'm going to hook you up with a bottle. You know, here's the vault. Ooh. When I walk into the vault, the last, absolute last thing I'm going to buy is Buffalo Trace. Not because it's not good. It's just, it's not my, I don't, I just don't appreciate it. I, I'd rather, Blanton's bottles, I used to buy them all the time, give them as gifts because pe- people can't get them. I can get them. But now I can't. They're like $130 a bottle. That's crazy. That's an insane gift. I'm not giving anybody $130. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but Eagle Rare has become my new thing. I can get Eagle Rare. I can get Eagle Rare for 40 bucks. So, like, that's a great gift. You can't buy Eagle Rare. If I were to send you a bottle of Eagle Rare, you'd be like, that's a fucking amazing gift, man. You know, so it's, it's, it's relative. But, yeah. like, for me, as far as drinking, I like to experiment, but also I'm not going to buy some shit I've never heard of. Like if somebody like behind you have two windows. So if two windows bourbon was sitting on the shelf, I'm not going to buy it. I'm just not going to. Never heard of it. Sounds like shit. <laughs> at, at, at minimum, I'll look at it and read the back and it's like distilled in New York. Yeah, I'm going to pass. Yeah. Distilled in Indiana means it's MGP. And I that's a gamble. I'd say 80% of the time distilled in Indiana means it's going to be a banger. Okay. Really? I like that. I do too. But that 20% could be a bullshit dist- <laughs> Like just some guy that was like, well, everybody likes MGP, so I'll buy 50 barrels of MGP. And they have no idea what whiskey tastes like. And they put out barrels that taste like absolute shit. That's that 20%. So it's a gamble. It's it's better than Vegas odds. I'll tell you that. I would agree. I would agree. Well, a huge shout out to the guys from Whiskey and Whitetails for coming on the podcast. That was absolutely freaking awesome. I know I've been learning a ton, but... You know, we had to cut it a little bit short. There's a really long episode. So that was part one. We're going to roll into part two for next week. Charles, what do you think, my man? Uh, I tell you what, it was everything I thought it was going to be. And then some, and it's the perfect time where we were just like, hey, we're running short on this card. (laughs) You know, some things are happening with the storm. Why don't we take a break and get back in? We'll jump back into this. We'll split it up into two episodes. That way it's easier for people to listen to. And I'll tell you right now, episode two of this is going to be just as good, if not better than episode one. I couldn't agree more, man. This is going to be an awesome little, little, I don't even want to call it a series, but this is going to be an awesome little learning experience for us and everyone. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not really a series. It just so happened that we talked for a long time and it felt like we were on for 15 minutes like it was that easy just to talk to these guys and everything went basically without any hiccups you know we just kept talking there there was no shortage of interest in this this is what i love about it when you can talk on a podcast for four hours just about and you never lose interesting topics you never lose interest in the conversation I'm telling you right now, you guys wait until next week when episode two drops, you're going to be just nipping at the butt. Just get out there and click on it, get the download and start listening again. Absolutely, man. Let's leave it at that until next week. The distraction is real. Let's go.